So I, li- I lived on a deserted island in the south of Thailand, south of Phuket, uh, you know, built, built a geodesic dome out of bamboo there with some people and, 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 uh, and then gradually went down the, 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 the coast to Sumatra and then wandered around. Radio Mano Papachango. Chris, my name is Mike. I'm from Sydney, Australia. Um, I'm currently studying uh, Bachelor of Environment with a major in Climate Science. I went travelling around the world for a little while and didn't really know what I was doing with myself, but with the help of listening to podcasts like your own and some other ones, I sort of figured out and got inspired to do something important with myself and try and make the world a better place so I just want to say thank you for doing what you're doing and keep going with it thanks heaps man have a good day hey Chris Ryan my name is Oscar and I am a Kenyan living in Japan I've been here for four years Uh, I came to study but eventually I didn't get my degree and I ended up working in bars and in convenience stores and in tourist agencies and teaching English and all that shit. And it's been amazing. Life has been hard, man. Life has been hard financially at some points. And then it's been really easy. And when it's easy, you get, you kind of forget how hard it was. You didn't have any money. Then you spend all your money because you think life is good now. I got married and my wife and I have struggled through the financial moments. I mean, I met my wife when I was 16 and that was a long time ago. Anyway, Chris Ryan, thank you so much for, I guess I've been listening to your podcast for three years and I would say thank you for all those three years. It's been fun, it's been wild and if you meet Joe Rogan, tell him one day I'm going to be on his podcast. Anyway, thank you. Have a good day. Hey everybody. I'm recording this on my phone because I just sent my highfalutin podcast recording gear back to the US with my friend Anya. Uh, who's flying back, and I'm traveling <clears throat> super light from here on out. Uh, looks like I'm going to be going to Thailand, where I'm going to hang out with my buddy Viram, uh, who some of you may remember. I think we did a uh, two-part podcast last time I saw him, which was probably three years ago. He lives on an island called Kopayam in um, Thailand. It's on the uh, it's a little north of Phuket. Um, near Burma. I think it's one of the last islands uh, before you get to the Burmese border. Anyway, I'm heading up there in a few days and uh, gonna spend some time with him and uh, bang around southern Thailand for a while. So I wanted to go super light. And uh, so if I record a podcast with Viram, which I hope to, it'll be on the phone. I think the audio quality is actually quite good. Um, if it's not as good as you're used to, please accept my apologies. Only the intro of this episode is recorded on the phone. The rest will be with the normal gear. You'll hear the 
the normal sound quality. Um, this episode is with a guy named Bruce Carpenter. He is um, uh, an expert in Southeast Asian art. He's an art historian, but as you'll hear, he's a brilliant guy. He knows, I would say he's, you know, a cross between an anthropologist, um, archaeologist, uh, an expert on world history, and an amazing artist as well. Uh, Anya was with me when I recorded this interview. She's a photographer. She took a bunch of photographs of the studio where we were sitting, uh, a couple of videos as well. Those will all be up at my website. Uh, tangentiallyspeaking.com Bruce Carpenter go to the link which will also be on your app on iTunes whatever it's in the description of this episode go to that link Uh, I would really recommend that you check out some of the visuals Um, she took beautiful photographs and his art collection is just astounding Uh, I don't know if it was while the mics were on or after we turned the mics off that we that sting came up and uh i sort of jokingly mentioned that uh sting had read sex at dawn and there was this photograph in rolling stone of sting reading sex at dawn and bruce said well i'll send him an email maybe he'd do your podcast this this is the kind of thing that, that he would probably be interested in and i was like what do you mean how do you have sting's email it turns out that people like sting go to Bruce Carpenter um, to help them locate and purchase exquisite pieces of art from this part of the world. So Bruce really knows what he's doing. He's lived here for close to 30 years, I think he said. Um, And before he settled here and um, became this world-renowned art expert, he was a traveler, hippie, drug-taken booze drinking, you know, carousing kind of uh, traveler in the 60s and 70s on the hippie trail. So um, I won't talk much more because we probably covered that in the podcast. I I forget what we talked about on the podcast, off the podcast, because we went out to lunch afterwards and the conversation continued. Um, As you'll hear, it's a fascinating conversation with a really interesting guy. Um, I mentioned Anya, if you want to check out her podcast as well, it's excellent. I've listened to a couple of episodes. She's a friend and a neighbor from Topanga, and uh, she has a podcast called A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World, which is, uh, I think, meant sort of maybe 50% ironically and 50% not. And uh, it's, I think she's got maybe seven or eight episodes so far, so she's starting out. But it's quite good if you'd like to hear uh, a young woman's perspective on some of the issues that we talk about on this podcast and issues that um, everybody is dealing with. What the fuck is happening and what the fuck are we going to do about it? Highly recommend her podcast, The Millennial's Guide to Saving the World with Anya Katz, K-A-A-T-S. I've been thinking about several things that I wanted to mention to you, um, just sort of stuff crossing my mind. One of them is that on Bali, at least in Ubud, uh, there are virtually no red lights or stop signs. The intersections are confluences. I've seen this in other parts of the world, uh, Morocco, Vietnam, uh, Cambodia, 
And it's very interesting. You can see the character of the culture comes through in these intersections because it's all about flow. A place like Vietnam, it's very aggressive. It's everybody's pushing, pushing and, and trying to get through the intersection through sheer force of will. There's a lot of honking, a lot of near misses, a lot of people driving straight at you. I remember trying to cross a street, like a five-lane street in, in Saigon, and Cassie and I were there, and she couldn't do it. She just couldn't step out into that traffic because there's no there's no gap in the traffic. There's no way where you can see. If I, if I step off the curb now, I'm going to get to that other side. You just have to go and trust that people are going to swerve or slow down and not just run you over. Um, it's an act of faith and she just couldn't do it. So she literally had to close her eyes and hold my hand and I would just pull her out into traffic with her eyes closed and she'd walk across the street that way. That was the only way to do it. Bali, it's different. Bali, there's very little honking. As I mentioned in my last episode, the honking that you hear is more beep, beep, beep. I'm coming. Here I am. Beep, beep over here. Beep. Watch out. You know, don't mean to bother you, but I'm coming up on the left. It's that kind of very light, easy, no problem. People are gliding smoothly. You come to the intersection and there doesn't really seem to be any hard and fast rule as to who has right of way, how this happens, how many cars go through before it changes and the other cars come. It just seems to be a flow, an easy flow of everybody just being cool and just letting things happen the way they need to happen. It reminds me, I read a, a study that was done few years ago, I think it may have been Finland, Norway, Sweden, somewhere in, in the Scandinavian countries, a town was having problems. There were a lot of accidents happening and uh, at particular intersections. And they did a social experiment where they just removed all the, all the red lights and stop signs which you would think, as a Westerner, as a European-American regimented rule-based society, you would think that when you remove the rules, all hell breaks loose. Everything falls apart. It's chaos. It's, it's the absence of civilization. But in fact, what happened in this case was that there were far fewer accidents. When you took away the red lights, there were no red lights to run. There were no yellow lights to run through. There were no rules to break. There was no urgency to get through that intersection before the yellow light changed to red. Everybody was responsible for themselves and each other, and that changed the way they interacted. Think about that. Think about the way when we take away the guardrails, when we take away the do not enter signs, when we take away the caution, be careful, drive slowly, drive carefully, all these flashing signs. And you treat people like adults, like thinking, responsible beings. Sure, there are accidents, but fewer accidents. 
at least according to this case in that I'm thinking of in, in Scandinavia, there are fewer accidents, and it doesn't surprise me. It goes back to the, the thing I've talked about in other episodes. Barcelona, where Cassie and I used to walk along the port, and there's like a 10-foot drop-off into the water, and there's nothing. There's no sign. There's no guardrail. There's no chains. There's no orange cones. There's no guys with bullhorns screaming, Watch out! Beware! Caution! Back away! Back away! There's nothing. There's just a 10-foot drop-off into the fucking water. And I'm sure a kid runs right off there occasionally, but I've never seen it happen. It's kind of like the hygiene hypothesis. We remove all the germs from our environment, and what happens? We end up with autoimmune disorders because our immune systems have nothing to do. Our immune systems are just, they turn against us. That's what an autoimmune disorder is. It's when your immune system is attacking you. It's like when Indira Gandhi's bodyguards killed her. Your bodyguard is attacking your body. That's not good. But it's doing that because it's so motherfucking bored because you've removed every possible pathogen from your environment with all the antibacterial scrubs and soaps and sprays and mopping up your floor with antibacterial this and that and your fucking air filters and when you're no dogs and you're wiping your feet and taking off your shoes and there's just absolutely nothing alive in your apartment so there's nothing for your immune system to do so you end up with asthma or Crohn's disease, or weird skin disorders, and digestive things. And if you listen to the episode with Jeff Leach, the microbiome expert, he talked about how the Hudsa people that he lives with in Tanzania half the year literally eat shit. They literally eat the shit of the animals that they're killing, and that makes them stronger. And they're Microbiome, their gut microbiome is far more diverse than ours. And consequently, they don't suffer from heart disease, diabetes, so many of the things that we suffer from. And so this traffic situation is kind of the same thing. We regiment the rules that we set up, the traffic rules, the do not enters, the signs, the warnings, the chains, the fences. We, we build all these things in order to separate ourselves from what we consider to be dangers or inconveniences or dirtiness, dirty foreigners, dirty problems, dirty fucking situations. And in doing that, our ability to manage those situations, our ability to appreciate the differences of other cultures and other people atrophies. We become arrogant and annoyed and easily offended and easily frightened because we imagine all the monsters beyond the walls, the monsters beyond the fences, the dangers that lurk everywhere because almost everywhere we look, we see signs warning of us warning us of dangers the world's not so dangerous folks I've been out here off and on my whole life and really the most dangerous place I go is probably 
the highway in Los Angeles that I drive to visit my mother every day or two. Bali sure as fuck isn't dangerous. So anyway, that's my thought of the day. Intersections in Bali, the lack of signs, the lack of structure, which seems to promote a much more tolerant, cool, and um, understanding culture. It's a chicken and egg situation. It could also be that the culture is tolerant, cool, and relaxed, and therefore the intersections work better. Of course, I'm aware of that. But I think these chicken-egg situations always go together. You know, we always say, is it the chicken or the egg, when the fact is there is no chicken without an egg, and there is no egg without a chicken. So it's kind of a fucking nonsensical thing to talk about, isn't it? Is it the chicken or the egg? Well, it's both. Always. It's always both. Because the fucking egg is a chicken. All right. That's enough of my wisdom. Here's the first ad. My buddy Shane, he started a company uh, a few months ago. Seems like it was just yesterday. uh, Called Mudwater. Or Mud. It's Mud backward slash WTR. Anyway, it's... uh, I guess he was getting sick of coffee. Coffee's a big deal. Everybody drinks coffee. I'm in Bali. There's coffee fucking everywhere here. And coffee's good. Or there are things about coffee that are good. The energy, the focus. If you do the kind of work where you need energy and mental energy and focus, coffee's probably a pretty big part of your life. But it's fucking expensive. And it'll mess up your guts. It'll mess up your guts, it'll mess up your heart, it'll mess up your mind, it makes you jittery, it makes you nervous, gives you the shits, it's got all sorts of negative qualities to it. So anyway, Shane decided to come up with something, mixing organic ingredients uh, that have been discussed on many podcasts, specifically Joe Rogan talking to Paul Stamets. If you didn't hear that one and you're interested in mushrooms, that's probably one of the most interesting conversations I've heard. Paul is a world-renowned expert on all sorts of mushrooms, and I remember he talks a lot about lion's mane and cordyceps in that particular episode. Uh, so those are two ingredients in mud water, uh, chaga mushroom, reishi mushrooms, also cacao, masala chai, turmeric, which has all sorts of healing properties that are coming to light even as we speak. I just read something a week or so ago about um, the effects of turmeric in, in anti-tumor, uh, the anti-tumor properties of turmeric. Anyway, You can add almond milk, a little honey, whatever. Mess with it. Figure it out. It's mud. You can get it at mudwater.com. M-U-D-W-T-R. Take out the vowels in water. Mudwtr.com. Tell them Chris sent you. It's my first goddamn ad. It's all Shane's fault. So write to him, blame him, and order some mud water while you're at it. Thanks. Okay, and the song I'm going to play you out with is called Sunglasses, and it's by a guy who listens to the podcast named Chase Barron. His band is Chase and the Barons, I believe. Uh, Yeah, and he said that this song was inspired by my conversation with the minimalists, focusing on how we as Westerners have learned to hide behind our overwhelming heaps of material possessions, especially the ones we wear on our bodies 
He says he's ditched a lot of stuff thanks to those dudes. Speaking of the minimalists, Ryan, there are two of them, Josh and Ryan. Ryan, I just found out, broke his back in a skiing accident a couple of weeks ago. He's fine, um, but he's laid up uh, recovering. And um, so if you're into the minimalists, uh, drop them a line and uh, send Ryan some healing energy. You can get this album, if you'd like, at chaseandthebarons.com. There you go. Chaseandthebarons.com. The song is called Sunglasses. Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, sending you lots of love from Bali. Hope you can hear that thunder in the background. Bye. What's up, Chris and and, uh, and friends from around the Big Rock? This is Chase from Pittsburgh, PA. I'm getting ready to uh, go to my day job after a weekend of gigging with the band and some much-needed floating in the old isolation tank. Um, it's kind of funny, too, because we, we played a show on a boat immediately after I floated, which I thought was ironic. I just wanted to thank you and Joe and Duncan for all the inspiration and for keeping crazy people like myself and my bandmates from you know, getting too caught up in the matrix and keeping us pursuing what we really care about. Um, rather than this uh, stupid day job stuff. Yeah, major shout out to you guys.
Ladies and gentlemen, I'm in Bali with a man I first heard of probably maybe 20 years ago. Uh, I was in Southeast Asia, and our mutual friend Stanley Krippner, who's been on this podcast four or five times now, uh, said, you have to meet my friend Bruce Carpenter. If you go to Bali, you have to meet Bruce Carpenter. And all I knew about you was that I had to meet you and that you were an expert on Balinese art. Okay. And here we are. I'm in a room surrounded with amazing Balinese art and so let's take it from there you've how long have you been in Bali okay the first thing I would preface is by saying is it's not just Balinese art. I live in Bali and ah. as a consequence Balinese art is is one of the things that I know a great deal about but but I I would say that I'm more a general expert in in the art culture and history of in particular of Southeast Asia uh, of which Indonesia and uh, is is the dominant culture uh, of often times. Ah, okay. And, so and Bali and Bali is an interesting small island, uh, which is which has is unique because uh, a great Hindu Buddhist civilization, which once dominated this entire area, uh, has only survived in uh, here. It's mm. not. It's found in bits and pieces, and in, in the, buried in the in the subsequent cultures and in some isolated areas. But it's it's only here that you have it in a form which is closest to what it was up until the 14th century. And was that because the the Indian Empire extended to here, or was it just religious influence, or? What, what was it? Well, there, there was some, you know, there, for a long time, because what, you know, Western historians and, and, and experts would make often very patriarchal and uh, uh, inaccurate assumptions. The, the majority of them in the 19th century, when they came to Southeast Asia, they said, oh, very colorful, you know, uh, sensuous, interesting people. However, because they don't have very many grand temples or edifices or all the, the paraphernalia that we associate with high civilization, we just assume that, uh, that they were, you know, if you like, uh, uh, tabula rasa, that they, they were just here and then the Indians came and the Indians uh, uh, stimulated the civilizations. In fact we know now that, that, uh, that, that the majority of the people in Indonesia who are uh, to some extent 
were another uh, descendants of, of an ancient race which is now called the Austronesians based on a, a linguistic term. Mm. Formerly they were called the Malay Polynesian mm. and that they were the first great Argonauts of, uh, of, of, of history because four to six thousand years ago they started building sea uh, worthy vessels and they started these great voyages that went all the, came all the way down, uh, you know, it's, it's still there's some controversy about the directions and so on, but they settled all of Malaysia, uh, the coastal areas of Vietnam, the Cham people, for instance, are Austronesian people, Hailam Island in China, the, the indigenous people there, or, or uh, Austronesian people, the, uh, the aboriginals of Taiwan, mm. Austronesian people, the Philippines mm. are Austronesian people, and they sailed uh, uh, all the way into the Pacific and they became the Polynesians. Right. And then there's also some conjecture and, and circumstantial evidence that they reached South America. Right. They right. went to Australia. They never uh, permanently settled there, but they left a number of, 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 of uh, things there, including the Southeast Asian dog, which became the dingo that they brought along in the voyages with, with them. Really? And, and they, what, what years are we talking about? We're talking about like uh, 6,000 to 4,000 years ago. Okay, okay, so there were already uh, Australian Aboriginal people. Uh, well, that, the, the first wave of humans, if you like, Homo sapiens that came through were, were the, the Aboriginal Papua type, which right. is like 50,000, 60,000 years ago. And, right. and recently they've been, you know, they've been doing some new carbon-14 testing in some of the cave drawings, like in Sulawesi, there was a few years ago, one came out, it's in, the, in one of the books that I, 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 I talk about it, that previously it was considered to be maybe two, 3,000 years old, and it dated as 40, 45,000 years old, which mm. makes it one of the oldest cave paintings in the world. Wow. Yeah. And and this is only the tip of the iceberg because there are these type of cliff and cave paintings throughout this this area. So it also throws it also throws some uh, theories that were 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 you know considered to be truth in doubt because uh, the people who presumably have made them were the Austronesian people, but the Austronesian people, according to most, came much much later. So the Aboriginals uh, uh, Papua type. Uh, they came through about 50, 60,000 years ago, went away, uh, went to New Guinea, they're still uh, in New Guinea, and went to Australia, became the Aboriginals. And then after that, uh, they talk about the Malaysian, uh, Melanesian type. And the Melanesian type, also kinky hair and so on, would go, form the, the islands uh, uh, east of, of New Guinea, Melanesia, Vanuatu, mm. and many of those islands. Uh, though we don't know what those people called themselves. They were about 15,000 years ago. And then you talk about that the Austronesians from which most Indonesians are descended or at least from a cultural because the, the, uh, the genetic purity of them has been called into question as well mm. uh, as a single race that came and, and, right. and spread. That seems that they married with, with people who were already here. Right. Uh, that, that happened around 6,000 years ago.
All right, we're back with, with even better sound quality now. We decided to pick up the microphones because we're picking up the AC. Um, I didn't. This is fantastic that you know so much about the, the prehistory of the area because that's something I'm particularly fascinated by. Uh-huh. Stanley and I, in fact, went to Lascaux together. Oh, okay. We're, we've been to a bunch of prehistoric cave sites. Perhaps one Europe. of the last people to visit. Well, we were the only reason we were allowed in was that we were invited by the French government, thanks to Stanley being Stanley. Okay, uh, right. Yeah, there were five people. I guess they allowed the, a few people in every few days. Yeah, and you remember that Lascaux is thirty-eight thousand. Right. Altamira right. is forty thousand. Yeah, we've been there so as well. So this is yeah. this is uh, you know. Uh, it, there's still some people because you always have the naysayers and you know question how can you date it from that and etc and cetera. right but well, they use charcoal uh, right and no they use carbon 14 radioactive yeah i mean the people carbon, use yeah. charcoal to, to make images yeah they, they, they had that and there's also you know there were binders because they also the colors that they used were usually white which is uh, often made from from bones mm. right and 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 they're calcified they heat them there's a chemical reaction right uh. Uh, called slick lime when it comes out it's called slick slick lime lime. and then you have also iron oxide for red uh, and as well they also have red ochre yellow ochre what is ochre Ochre is, is a, a mineral, mineral from oh, the okay. earth, okay. right? It's right. a it's a right. earth that 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 is that color, right. and then and black and black is usually from soot, right? From, from burning charcoal yeah. and things like that, oil. Right. But the binders are also always organic. They can huh. be, you know, they can be uh, from fish glue to you know from animal bones and things yeah. like, like that. Yeah, yeah. So how you grew up in New York? You said in Bro- yes, I did Brooklyn. Yeah. No, I, well, I was born. I was born in Queens, right? And you still uh, have the accent. We moved out uh, on the on the on the island. And right. I, I spent most of my youth in Port Jefferson, just opposite uh, New Haven and and Yale University. Right. And did you did you have this interest in art or in Southeast Asia from an early age, or how did you come into all this? I was one of those. Young people who you know it was like it was a basically a, a a working you know class you know uh, neighborhood right uh, with the people they thought of themselves as being middle class but if you live in Europe you realize that it's working class in yeah. actual fact and I had felt like the gypsies had abandoned me there but I, <laughs> I knew there was something there was something. Yeah. That was not quite right from the perspective of who I was and where where I wanted to go. And I, of course, I didn't know it immediately. But that, uh, you know, I was always attracted to art. I, you know, very early I wanted to be an artist. I was also somebody who read a lot and liked history, listened, and and uh, and that naturally led to museums. And you know, at a certain age, when I was able to take the long uh, Long Island Railway to to uh, Pennsylvania. Your station and then explore the museums but that became uh, you know a big a big thing for me it sort of opened uh, opened up a lot of vistas to go to the Metropolitan yeah. and look the at Metropolitan, the Asian and MoMA yeah, yeah. and, and that, that at that time too one of the if you talk about 
prehistory and the connection, because the connection between Indonesia, uh, Indonesian art and prehistory is that so, so the, the, the earliest cultures were, were of course, uh, you know, here, you know, precluding the Mesolithic and the Paleolithic, but the Neolithic. And the Neolithic time, because it's one of the realizations which has, again, come to fore of, of late, that the the Neolithic and Bronze Age people of Indonesia built large temples, and many of the temples, like Borobudur and Basaki and Bali and other things, were actually built on top of, mm. of ancient ancient uh, uh, Neolithic Bronze Iron Age temples. Yeah. The Bronze Age and Iron Age came at the same time, the technology. It yeah. wasn't like the, the Middle East where, where it was copper, bronze, and iron. It wasn't, oh, okay. it wasn't that separation between them. And so... Uh, the, the the point being with 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 the continuation of that because Indonesia with the seventeen thousand islands and many of them being isolated is that certain tribal or um, minority ethnic groups that were isolated for a long time managed to like for example the Asmat people they entered pretty much uh, the nineteen sixties. In an intact state, and this is Papua New Guinea Highland people. No, no, no. Papua New Guinea. That's another another story. Again, they they were discovered in in. Uh, the, but let's go to with, with the Asmat people. So where are they? Are very very fierce. Uh, 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 they're cannibals, head hunters who live in the world's largest wetlands, which is in the in the south, uh, the south uh, west of what is Indonesian New Guinea. Because oh. in, uh, New Guinea is divided in two parts: Papua New Guinea, right. and then Papua. It's called now. Oh, it's not Irian Jaya. Yeah, it used to be called the Irian Jaya, ah. but that was a name given by uh, by uh, Sukarno, and and ah. to be to be sensitive because of you know now the people you know they want to have their own identity. They've taken they they've changed it back to Papua. Ah, okay. Again. So they're they're on the same island, but they're in the southwest well, in the yeah, wetlands. It's the right. it's the world's uh, if I'm not mistaken second largest island. Yeah. Right, New Guinea. Right, the third largest is uh, uh, is Borneo. Many of the largest islands in the world are in Indonesia. Hmm, and Sumatra and, must be. Uh, Sumatra is like seventh. Huh. And so you uh, so you go if you go there, they are a direct continuation of these ancient peoples because uh, you know uh, so there's many things that we can learn of them so among others you have the the Dayak people the the people in, inhabited the headhunters of the interior of Borneo you had the Toraja people of of, of Sulawesi the interior of Sulawesi you and these are linguistic groups is that how they're distinguished the Dayak well, some of them are actually tribal groups that identify with each other the, mm. the Toraja in fact is a is a, a a foreign name given to them by their enemies. Mm, yeah, like that so often, often happens. happens yeah. you know? and, and like many places yeah. in the world, the name used by the people themselves usually means the, the people. people. <laughs> exactly. Everyone's right? the people. Because you know, everybody yeah. else is an outsider. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so there are several uh, subgroups. Uh, I mean, they share, they share uh, uh, similar languages. 
they share certain cultural, artistic, and and belief mm. systems. For instance, most of them in the originally original form, and that can be said throughout Indonesia, there was a, a solar deity uh, mm. uh, of some type, the mother, the mother Earth, and there was the, you know the belief in the polarities uh, between it, and and also a tripartite world in which you had foremost, and that's one thing even in Bali because people keep talking, oh, Bali Hinduism. Bali Hinduism. In fact, Balinese religion at its core is animist ancestor worship. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You know, it's only an elite group uh, who control a lot of the rituals who understand the 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 the, the Hindu, if you like, the classical Hindu uh, concepts about uh, about the, the the world, the universe, and religion. Mm. For example, when I when I first arrived here, so it's like 1975, and I went to a Polynesian temple festival, and I thought I was really cool because I had read some books about Hinduism, and so I tried to, in my broken uh, Bahasa Indonesia, I tried to have a dialogue, and I said, "Who are you worshiping?" You know, Brahma, Vishnu, or Shiva, and they looked at me like I was like, you know, a total idiot, right? <laughs> and you I kept saying, just "Who enough are you to humiliate yourself?" You know, and yeah. then they answered, "Jirogede," and again, "Jirogede." I never read about Jirogede. Who's Jirogede? So Jiro means elevated, yeah. uh, and Gede means the great one. Yeah. Right, and in fact, it's usually it's 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 a term that probably uh, is more descended from the from the animus period when the worship of great nature sp- mm, spirits. Right? right, right. You know. So when I sort of got over that, my next question is 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 uh, you know what is you know uh, why do you do, why are you doing this ceremony? And then they they thought. You know, their, their response was also like, "What are you asking such stupid, stupid questions for?" You know, and I pressed them and pressed them. Is it says because we always do it because mm. it was, of course, part of an ancient religious cycle and ceremonial cycle, ritual cycle that had been going on for 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 centuries, and nobody questioned the validity or reason. It was obligatory. It was just that you did it because you had to do it. And if you didn't do it, because it's another thing that many people don't understand about uh, in the Balinese system and the system of ancestor worship, which is also related to the tribal groups, is that the cremation, the major purpose of cremation, and why cremations are actually joyous events is to send off the spirit of the deceased to the land of the ancestors. And the reason you want to do it, because before you, 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 you uh, successive, successfully fulfill this, this very you know, important ritual in, in the human life cycle, their spirits hang around here on Earth and the longer and more dissatisfied they are, the more trouble they can bring. Disaster, uh, you know, you can fall off your motorcycle. There's all kinds of bad things. Mm. So basically, you want to get rid of them. 
Send them off. Right. You so want to send them happy. off in a glorious way so they're happy because yeah. it's another thing after the cremation. You have to go to a Balian Katakuan, uh, a, a trancer, and you say, was it successful? Let us know it's successful. And they channel the, the spirits in and mm. they say, oh, no, yeah, Grandpa is really dissatisfied. He thought you were, you, you, you know, you didn't, you didn't do him enough honor and you didn't do things like mm. that. You know, there's all kinds of uh, things like that. Mm. But they want to get them. And then the second, and it doesn't end there. It's not like you just send them away. And, and it's, like, uh, it's like having a, a, a somebody who becomes a member of, of Congress. And you, you have a symbiotic relationship. And the symbiotic relationship is that you constantly have to give offerings and, 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 and improve the temple and, and, and do all, so, all, all sorts of things because they become the representatives of the family uh, here uh, in, the, in, the, in the celestial realm, mm. in the realm of things. And because of them, they bring good luck and blessings and prevent disasters from happening. So in a certain sense, it's a payoff religion. <laughs> Right, <laughs> bribery. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly, exactly. Yeah. If you, yeah. you know, there and and it, things are changing somewhat now. It's still quite strong, but in different places. And this is true of of of, of uh, most of the traditional societies in Indonesia. For instance, uh, the cremation here. Before there was cremation, you can see in Pejeng is an area near near Ubud, and it's an area where they have the most ancient those are they have bronze uh iron age stone sarcophagi they used to bury them there mm. that's the they're 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 like that's a secondary burial mm. because the first one is because cremations and secondary burials like the ones in Taraja are are extremely expensive mm. they can bankrupt families sure. they have to borrow money and huh. and uh and they're very very demanding they, the 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 prophets the Balinese religion is a really uh demanding religion Bali has the highest rate of suicide in Indonesia really a lot of it is because of the religion because people right. just can't afford to take care of their ancestors it's, it's just well they're constantly having to borrow money they run from from uh-huh. one one debt to another debt. And how is suicide right? seen in the religion? Is it a, a sin? Is it a, a front? Suicide. What? Suicide. Is, is it no, a viable it's not, way it's not, out? It's not, it's not considered good, but it doesn't have, you know, because they don't have quite, you know, they do they do have the concept of hell is very strong, mm. you know, uh, uh, here. And that was that was actually brought in from, from the, the Hindu period. Because if you talk about Hindu influence, when, when Hinduism came uh, to Indonesia, it brought with it patri- patriarchy. Right. Because the old, uh, the, the Austronesian people, the people who came before, they were they were they were uh, uh, oftentimes matriarchies or matrilineals. Right. It's it's interesting that uh, uh, in Islamic uh, the largest uh, minority ethnic group in Indonesia, the Minangkabau, who live in uh, West Sumatra, I've been there. Right, the they are a matrilineal society despite yeah. being uh, devout Muslims. Yeah. 
I wrote about right. them in Sex at Dawn. You'll you'll see yeah. that if if you okay. look in the book. Yeah. So uh, and so this interesting. So so from that point of view, and also the the when you talk about ancestor worship in traditional uh, in traditional uh, tribal and 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 uh, minority groups, the ancestors were male and female. It was always the founding couple, right. and even though there was division of labor and and certain kinds of of separations that that were 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 used, is that there was also a, a, a sense of equality mm. that, that permeates the the old the old religion, right. in which women pl- played a very important role, as we said, the solar the solar uh, deity and the, and the earth. The earth solar mother. was a uh, masculine deity? A masculine, and yeah. the earth mother was female. Right. And is the moon, does the moon play a The, the moon role? can be, the moon is a enigmatic in yeah. the sense that sometimes it can be uh, associated, but there's not always a direct association. It also has to do the Chandra, the moon I believe in Hindu in the Hindu pantheon is a male. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So. What about uh, seems like a natural segue into sexuality and gender within Balinese culture? Is there anything interesting there? Is there a third gender, as in some cultures, or like Thai culture seems to be very tolerant of? Well, well if you took non-binary. Okay, if you took broad, broad, because you know. Uh, there, the the Balinese never had problem with uh, transsexuals or homosexuals. They did not. There wasn't an explicit, uh, uh, you know, uh, approval, right? But there was also, uh, you know, they weren't. They weren't. Uh, there was, and there were some discriminations as well. But they weren't, you know, heavily prosecuted or condemned or mm. killed or anything like that. And in fact, like if you see among the Bugis, uh, the Bugis people and the Makassar people of southern uh, Sulawesi, right, who are also they they were convert they converted around 1610 to uh, to Islam, right, uh, and uh, and but. In their courts, because they were they had a hierarchical society with royalty, in their courts, the 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 rituals and all the prognostications and the calendars and the the the, the protocol was all controlled by transvestites who were known as, as uh, bisu. Bisu comes from the the Sanskrit word biksu, which means monk, mm. right? And you also have in, in places like Java and so on, the waria they're called, they're, they're, they're the cross-dressers or whatever. And, you know, sometimes it's difficult to know what is a, what is a, a died as composed as, as mm-hmm. uh, you know, in contrast to a transvestite right. or something like yeah. that. Uh, but the ones that had, uh, you know, dressed as females and behaved like females, right? 
they were considered often to have magical powers, like the Bisu also were considered to have magical powers. And in places like the Dayak of Borneo, the, the traditional uh, medicine men, if you like, they, they were called Bal, uh, Balian. Uh, one of in one of the things that they had to do in some of the, the the ethnic groups there is that they had to live as a woman, a wife of a chieftain or a warrior, because it has to do with the the the, the, the things that are between the two worlds. Because mm. oftentimes the American Indians had that as well. The two spirited ones. People with indefinite sexuality, mm-hmm. right, or or kind of a, 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 a say a blurred sexuality, are considered those who live between the male and female right. worlds, right? right? And they're feared. They're feared because, and like in Java, for example, they make fun about them all the time. Many of the the the, the, the for a long time these sort of. Uh, Kind of comic soap opera uh, television programs in India, uh, Indonesia. Many of them were were had had uh, had uh, transvestite uh, uh, you know players in them all yeah. the time, much beloved yeah. because they you know they make the people laugh, they poke fun at themselves too. From the now you know very dry political correct you know perspective of Americans who seem to have you know, get offended by, uh, you know, anything that even remotely sounds like uh, an insult, uh, it's probably considered very, very bad form. form. <laughs> yeah. But for yeah. the Indonesians until today, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, part of, it's part of their traditional culture. So then, so that's a, that's a thing like that. The other thing is that, uh, you know, and you can see with Walter Spies, the famous German painter who lived here, uh, and uh, Rudolf Bonnet, they were they were both gay. Hmm. Uh, Bali and Indonesia, it was it was well known at a certain moment that they it, they were receptive to gay men. Mm. And uh, I think part of the challenge nowadays and sometimes and how, how people perceive that in hindsight is that because the gay men, the Western gay men who came here were from a position of certain, certain authority and power, mm. then it caused, you know, there was always the question is, you know, was it a kind of, mm. you know, obviously most of them like uh, Walter Spies did not, you know, he wasn't a rapist or anything like that. Right. But he, there's, he even admitted to having sex with underage uh, age boys, and he was he was sentenced for it. Really? Yeah, he was sentenced in for Germany it. or in not Indonesia. Here, in, in Indonesia, because oh. at a certain moment, uh, that was in the 1930s. There, 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 there was a razia against uh, against gay Western men, mm. right? So Walter Spies, because he was very flamboyant and he really didn't, you know, he didn't hide uh, his tendencies very well, was was accused and prosecuted, even though uh, Gregory Bateson and Morgan Mead and and many, many prominent scholars and, and, and uh government officials came out to support him because he was such a remarkable and, and positive person who did so much for Bali. He was still sentenced for six months or something like hmm. that. Uh, he really clipped his wings. It was very, very serious. And But Rudolf Monet, on the other hand, because Rudolf Monet, unlike 
you know, unlike Spies, liked, I think, more mature guys right. and was in, like, a, a long-term relationships, whereas, uh, you know, Spies was more of a flamboyant uh, gadfly mm. uh, who, you know, with, you know in, in many ways, like, living the, the, the hippie, you know, uh, mm you know, uh, gay liberation yeah. life, you know, long before it occurred in, 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 in the West. Yeah. So there's that, there's that, but sort of similar to Tunisia and Morocco with, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Sheltering it's, sky and yeah, Paul yeah. Bowles. No, exactly. Paul yeah. Bowles. And, and so you had also here, because one of the things is, is that, is that, uh, the, I think the, the, the Indonesians and the Balinese recognize that, and this is what the West has been struggling with a whole lot of time. That being gay, uh, to a certain extent, is genetic. It's not. It's mm. not it's so much environmental. It's that you can, you know, I, you can meet, you know, prepubertic, uh, you know, children, and you just say, "Wow, man, that, you know." I wonder what he's going to turn out to be, and you're rarely wrong, yeah. you know. Uh, 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 and uh, and they recognized that the other thing was is that is that at least among the high caste Balinese, and this is true throughout Indonesia, the there was a very strict separation between the, the uh, once you achieve puberty between uh, girls and boys. And so you have, of course, like everywhere in the world, you have like young men with an overload of uh, testosterone and no place to, you know, to release themselves. They, it was almost, it was tolerated uh, almost to a certain extent, uh, accepted. And this is one of the arguments they used in the trial of Spies, that uh, that they would have uh, homoerotic. Uh, you know, experiences, but then then go on. The majority of them would go mm. on and get married, and and and, and, right. and you know, be be uh, you know, uh, just straight. Yeah. If you if you like, from from the the female perspective, because this is another thing, because it came with with Hindu Hindu culture also came. It, you, there was no. The idea of hell before the, the coming of Hindu culture, you know, patriarchal, uh, you know, system, uh, several other things were vague. It's it's not that they didn't have something that you could compare to it, but they were vague before the arrival of Hinduism. And Hinduism did not come through the invasion, which you were talking about before. Hinduism, uh, in fact, it was the Austronesians on their way to, because one of the places they sailed to was Madagascar. The, the original people of Madagascar are Austronesian people who speak an Austronesian wow. uh, language. And on the way, they bumped against India. And when they bumped against India, the Indians noticed that they had lots of gold because Indonesia is rich in gold. India has, since his, uh, since historical times, been the, the greatest consumer of, yeah. of, of gold. There was a shortage of gold at that time because there was trouble in Central Asia, which had been the main source of the gold that they were using. 
and that they named the first name they came gave to Indonesia was Suvarna Dweeper, which means the islands of gold. Oh boy! And that's why they came here to trade for gold. To trade, not to, to just come in gold. and rape and pillage. They're, they're, they're the only case of, if you like, of of in, a direct Indian invasion uh, was, uh, happened here during the Chola dynasty. So we're mm. talking about the the eleventh. 12th century Chola dynasty they they ruled out of what is Tamil Nadu now Mm. in in South India very powerful uh, people and they got pissed off uh, at at the Sri Vijaya empire which dominated the trade because the Sri Vijaya when they went to China they said oh the Cholas are are vassals and they said wait a minute we're much bigger and stronger (laughs) than you and we're going to teach you a a lesson so it was more about honor than they they sent I I forget if it was two or three voyages uh, uh, to to invasion, but not to invade, not to settle here. Right. Basically, they they burned down and they 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 pillaged and they returned. So they had Teach no permanent. They had no permanent, uh, and, and there was never any permanent Indian presence here. And so, and yeah. and the and the, it came from a trickle down because what happens is that the the Bronze Iron Age chieftains, if you like, uh, they. They embraced the Indian concept of the God King, right? Uh, there was a brilliant Austrian uh, 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 ethnologist. His name was Heine Gelden. He worked in the, in the American Museum of Natural History after he fled, uh, you know, after the Anschluss, he fled Aus- Austria, and uh, and he. Uh, he talked about it. He, he announced how this, because in a way it legitimized them, because it said that as as above, so below, hmm. and the and the and the ruler, and that's the patriarchal system, would become the manifestation of the high deity or the deities on earth, and his palace would be built in the in the form of Indra Loka, which is the palace of the gods in in the celestial realms. Right. Yeah. So they would. So the local chieftains were really, really uh, eager to uh, adopt that system. They said, "Well, you know, I've I become, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm legitimate now. Right. I, you exactly. Know, I, I, and I get to build this great palace, and I can, I can do uh, many things which, which were considered because, in fact, the Austronesian society was much more egalitarian." than before. There right. was a, something of a class system. So they're looking for a But it was more egalitarian, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that, that allowed them. And because of the wealth of, 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 of Indonesia, Indonesia is a fabulously wealthy place in, in, in uh, both in natural resources as well as, as uh, uh, you talk about rice and other things that huge oh, surpluses beyond yeah. belief and they, they, they became the foundations of, of, of building the great temples you know and they were great temples the temples were built all, all through Sumatra uh, the ones that are most impressive are usually in central Java but they continue on to East Java they go to Bali and they go to uh, Sumbawa, but uh, uh, then, uh, that's the last place where you have edicts and things like that from from that period. But during the Majapahit period, which was from the uh, the end of the uh, the 14th century until 1500, uh, in in the uh, the, the Majapahit dominated 
most of Southeast Asia. Oh, really? Yeah. But it was not, you know, it's a, it, it wasn't a nation state in the sense that we usually can sort of. You yeah. had the Maharaja in the palace. Right. He controlled like maybe 500 kilometers, a circle, the mandala, they called it, around him. Mm. And then in the next, the next regions over there, he had his, you know, his cousins and his family. Right. It was all this intermarriage. Yeah. And uh, then there was beyond. And so basically yeah. they'd go there and they'd say, say, okay, you have to acknowledge me as the as your as your uh, lord and if you don't then it's war was there a system of taxation or something absolutely sort of, yeah absolutely yeah. rice the is two, great for taxation yeah, yeah the two the two major obligations if you if you you know if you wanted to you know and, and many times you think wow man he's got really big armies and and uh, i'm gonna lose so i'm not gonna fight him and they and they they were magnanimous in the sense that they'd let you continue on they wouldn't say we're going to take away your crown and everything mm. like that the two things is that you had to send tribute and tax right mm. and in the case of the of the of the empire or the kingdom being threatened you had to send troops right those right. were the two major. When did Indonesia become a thing, a concept? Uh, was it World War II? I know the Dutch were here before World War II, and then the Japanese invaded. In fact, and and uh, you know, in fact, even though that you can say there are historical precedents, and and uh, certainly the Indonesians themselves, after the founding of the Republic of Indonesia in 1945. They they uh, they look back at them and but they they somewhat over exaggerated mm -hmm. the whole idea of a unified right. a centralized uh, state. Right. right. Uh, so in fact, it was so when the when the when the Europeans first came to Asia, the last thing they were looking for was colonies. Mm. Like. They didn't want to have huge sure. bureaucracies right. and standing armies right. and all Very sorts expensive. of things. They were looking for fortified uh, uh, warehouses in the major emporiums and harbors where they could develop relationships to buy the many uh, you, you know valuable things right. that were coming out, in particular spices, at at uh, at, uh, at at very low prices or the lowest price possible, so they could make a great killing selling them in in Europe yeah. but part of the problem with, with with what happened with that is that it eventually it, it was sort of like uh, it eventually in the beginning they were actually equal players between different rulers because there were a lot of different rulers and things like that so the the Portuguese first arrived here in in fifteen eleven. They conquered Malacca, which is in in which was the great spice emporium mm. in in the Malay Peninsula, right? And they very quickly they discovered where the spice islands were, and 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 they set up various kinds of forts and trading places. But the Portuguese never had the manpower or mm. the wealth. To really, really, uh, uh, you know, consolidate, uh, control, con consolidate and control. That yeah. wasn't they. They were always having trouble. Yeah. Okay. So uh, now, 
Portugal had been conquered by Spain. Remember Philip II, yeah. uh, you know, spent a sp- sent the Spanish Marta to 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 uh, to Britain, right, to conquer, you know, Queen Queen Elizabeth. He was a Catholic, a fanatic, and things like that. He invaded Portugal before uh, because Portugal was the first one with, that actually went around Africa slowly. It took mm. them something like eighty years before they 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 finally reached uh, South. East Asia, and then they were they they were alone for something like forty fifty uh, uh, year, years. Really? Year. Oh, yeah. They started, it's actually so. If you go from fifteen eleven, probably the first Dutch one that came here was fifteen. Uh, 96 so the Portuguese oh. so we talk about like 80 you know years. 80, almost 80 years yeah. they were alone here huh. and, and uh, they were bringing and, spices and the reason back. the Dutch came is of course when Philip II conquered uh, Portugal and integrated it into the Spanish Empire uh, he realized that the Dutch who were in rebellion against the Spanish Empire that was William the Silent right mm. Uh, because they were they were Protestants and they were there was heavy taxation in a way it was a, a precursor of what would happen later in the United States and he he was actually the first one who went against uh, violated the principle of the, the 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 divine right of a ruler and said if a ruler is not just to his people that he rules, then the people have the right to rebel against them. And that's really? what the Dutch did. And this they founded, was the first example the, of... One of the first wow. ones, yeah. Huh. And they founded a republic. That was the Batavian Republic that they founded at that time. Which in the lasted, Netherlands. In the Netherlands. Right. It lasted for quite some time. Huh. And so, uh, one of the effects, and this is why they came to Indonesia, is that the, the 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 navigators of many of the Portuguese ships were Dutch because the Dutch built, built the best ship, they built the best weapons, mm. they 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 were the best navigators and the best map makers mm. of Europe at the time, mm. right? And and Holland was making a killing because the the, the spices would come to Lisbon, and then uh, Amsterdam became the major distribution point in the north. Right I wonder if that's the, why the Dutch Santa Claus comes from Madrid. Yeah, it's part of it. Yeah, really, from, from Spain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it's always Saint confused Nicholas. me. Saint Nicholas. He yeah. comes up from. Yeah, he comes on a boat from Spain. From Spain, and then he flies around with the reindeer once he gets there. But they take well, no, the boat no, no, no reindeer in Holland. But but, but that, that's. But he comes to Rotterdam, right? Yeah, it comes to the harbor. It comes yeah. to Rotterdam. It comes to all the harbors. It comes to Amsterdam, and so it's 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 it's, it's like a, a how can you archetypical yeah, yeah. Uh, in in the sense, uh, but that's that's indeed that's indeed so so mm. so uh, so. There was a guy called Lynchens who 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 had been the, the, one of the main navigators because in those days the biggest secrets of the state, mm, yeah. which was a mercantile state, yeah. were the ship's logs. Right. right. How to get to the And this was part navigation. of the thing, you know, when, when I, you know, I grew up in, uh, you know, when I grew up in New York and I'm thinking, oh man, I got to get out of here, right? So I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, where can I go? You <laughs> Thank know, you for coming back to that thread. I, <laughs> want, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I want to get how and you... And so people, people... <laughs> 
you know, people were, you know, I, you know, I know some of the, yeah. the, the kids from more well-to-do families, you know, they fly to Europe, they spend like two weeks or a month in Europe or something like that, right? Yeah. Well, my, my parents were dysfunctional, so we didn't, we didn't get to do that. So I said, what did, so if you're in New York and you got a hundred bucks, and we're talking about like 1970, 1969, 1970, and your mind's already been bent by Woodstock, you went to Woodstock. You went to Woodstock. All that, yeah, all these other things. Things. So oh you're boy. sort of, and you 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 swallow the the age of Aquarius, uh-huh. you know, story, <laughs> hook, line, and sinker, uh-huh. you know, and you think that's going to be an imminent, you know, a new dawn uh, yeah. where everybody's going to be kind and loving Naked. and beautiful, <laughs> you know, and things like that. And at a certain moment, you because you're from New York and you yeah. and 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 you read Jean Paul Sartre, you start thinking, wait a minute, I've been I'm a victim of fraud yeah. right or something this is not what's going on so so uh, and I figured you know where could you go you, you had a hundred dollars you end up in Kansas City who wanted to go to Kansas City mm. you know you couldn't even get to Mexico for a hundred dollars right so uh, instead I, I did I finally I went to Europe with a hundred dollars no no I, I yeah no it was a hundred seventy five dollars one way ticket to Amsterdam uh. right I got to Amsterdam, and Amsterdam was still living in the bubble. Yeah, I was still, I was still, you know, uh, you know, I was still, a, 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 you know, if you like, a, the post hippie syndrome. So this is seventy one, seventy two, in there. Uh, no, I arrived there like seventy three. Yeah, seventy three. And how old were and, you? Uh, yeah, twenty two, twenty one. And then, and then in Amsterdam, you go past an office. This is magic bus. Right? Yeah. You say, Magic Bus, where's that going to? And so you, you paid then like $125. And like six weeks later, they drop you off in, in Kathmandu. Yeah. Talk about shifting paradigms. Yeah. You know, if you talk about like opening vistas in, yeah. in Cairo, then you drive through, you know, Afghanistan and all these, these places that from an American point of view were just... Uh, you know, just extraordinary. Now, for me, at that time, being in Amsterdam, because I was working as an experimental filmmaker and, and, and uh, you know, other things, and I, you know, I, most of the people I saw coming from India, because I thought, I was driven, I thought I need to go to India and get a guru. You know, it was like the the zeitgeist, right? right. And most of the people I saw coming back from, from India, they were just go, from Goa in particular, they were just stoned all the time. And if I wanted to get stoned, there was plenty to get stoned on in Amsterdam. But I met people who had gone to Bali. Mm. Right? And they came with the, 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 you know, like the inside information. They said, oh, yeah, you fly here, and then you go here, and you do this, and you stay there. And, and that was the sort of thing with the, what, what the BBC later called the hippie trail. Right. Right. That was the kind of information. It also enriched uh, certain people like Tony Wheeler and, and uh, oh, The Lonely, Lonely Planet, Planet. Yeah, and all those yeah. guys. Those were guys yeah. who, who were part of that. Right. And they were the guys who started, you know, long before Google and the other one, collecting information, right. uh, you know, printing uh, guidebooks and yeah. things like that. You know, but I was far too, I, I don't know, I was just, I, I, I lacked 
imagination and, and long-term understanding of the value of I was just, you know, I was more of a, you know, like a amoeba or a paramecium floating around, <laughs> you know, on a Petri dish, you know, that's <laughs> really? for me, as long as I had like a 500 or a thousand bucks that would get me to the next port, uh, yeah. and it was an exotic port where there were wonderful adventures, I didn't really think about anything yeah. else at that uh, So I sp- at that, at misspent that my youth as well. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I, and I have no regrets, but so you, you took that bus to Kathmandu? No, no, I didn't uh, because oh, yeah. I didn't want to. I just I didn't want to like join, uh, you know, because a lot of the people were there. There was junk coming in and all mm. kinds of stuff. I, yeah. I I considered myself to have a more, if you like, a more uh, a different calling. Right. So you went to Amsterdam doing experimental film and and what? What, what do you consider yourself? I mean, obviously, you're an artist. I'm a, no, but, no. At the, at the uh, moment, I, I mean, if you, if, you know, the, probably the most appropriate uh, label is 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 an art historian, uh-huh. right? That's my major. You know, if you like, I've written like, you know, something like twenty five books. On, on various aspects of, of you know, uh, artists like this one behind you, Lampard of Bali. Oh my God. I can, you know, this whole, this whole group of them I can show you downstairs. And I've done lectures and shows. So that's, that's probably my, you know, if you, if you say what, what do you do? But I, you know, I. It sounds I, like you stu- you're trained as an anthropologist or. No, or anthropology, I don't like deal. anthropology for the most part. No. Anthropologists, they're a, reli- they're a religious cult. Okay. You know? <laughs> No, no, there's some good ones in yeah, it, but, yeah. but a lot of it is like I took uh, Anthropology 101 in the university, and then it, they, they seemed, the way they took it, it, was, it had so little empathy with the people that they were studying mm. that I just thinking, you know, what, what's, a, what's about? And like if you mm. talk about one of the greatest anthropologists of history, Margaret Mead, who lived in Bali with Gregory Bateson, mm. her theory about the Balinese is that they were schizophrenic. Mm. Really? I mean, it's been debunked, you know. Schizophrenic in a pathological sense or just in the sense that they were hearing voices? Well, go back to the sexuality uh, thing. You know, one of the the impressions that foreigners had very early, because the land of the bare brass, you know, for for Westerners at that time, the idea that you were topless would, like, result in heavy breathing. Yeah. Right? And and so so uh, was that the Balinese were were sexually loose. Right. In fact, there was a book uh, written by this guy Julius uh, Jacobs, uh, a Dutch doctor, who came to Bali only for a few uh, weeks, and he wrote a whole chapter about uh, female Balinese female sexuality, in which he made all kinds of claims that they use bananas and other things as dildos. And the guy he didn't speak Balinese. Right. It's not sure, and, and no Balinese spoke Malay or Dutch right. and things like that plus at that time how could you you couldn't get into this you know to do an interview with like with a, women you know, and yeah. stuff like so the guy was just uh he was just like a, a somewhat kinky uh fantasist yeah who decided to you know create his own uh, university uh universe of 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 of, of sure. you know uh colorful uh, and and a bit weird, you know, sexual practices of the Balinese, which had nothing to do with re- reality. Yeah. And a long you know? history of that. 
you know, yeah. in the West projecting. Yeah, I mean, onto, that's one of the things of the relation. I got in big trouble at a certain moment too because uh, uh, I wrote, I started writing uh, about uh, the relationships between artists and their models and things mm. here, right? And uh, the one I did, one of my first book was on this uh, this Dutch artist called William Hofker, a, a, a quite talented artist who captured a kind of romantic uh, image of Bali in the 1930s. Uh, and because of his classical art training, it, it's it's really they're very very uh, poignant, you know, when mm. you when you see them. Uh, are they great world art? I don't I don't know about it. It's a little bit on the romantic side, but the, the guy was you know the guy was hitting on all the you know the Balinese models all yeah. the time, right? And uh, and I didn't I didn't you know I didn't. Uh, I didn't want them to, uh, you know, I didn't want to, like, you know, sensationalize it or something like that. But I felt it was something that you had to understand mm. uh, in order to understand his art as well. But, uh, you know, the grand, uh, no, it was, it was a, the, the, the granddaughter of his brother who later, who never met him nor met his wife, who I knew quite well. Uh, uh, when I when she read this article, she flipped and say, said, you know, I was slandering uh, mm. or, or you know her her uh, great great uncle or something like yeah. that. And, yeah. and, and uh, but but that's a whole uh, you know that goes. Do you know to the story thing. with Richard Burton, the the explorer. Yeah, oh, I'm not quite sure. The, the, he he was a great explorer, linguist. He spoke. I, I know 27. him. I know of him. Yeah. Well, when he died, he he was very interested in sexuality. He I think he was one of the first people to translate the Kama Sutra into uh-huh. a European language, and uh, he was posted all over the world. He was in the foreign service, and and wherever he was posted, he would go to brothels and and study the sexuality of the local people. He was bisexual. He was all over the place, and he kept very careful notes yeah it's a very public school very english yeah very very english yeah well he's actually irish but probably trying to be lord brian yeah uh, you know he was with speaks when they were just trying to discover the source of the nile yeah he was like a real swashbuckling guy but when he died his wife, a very proper, she burned his. She burned everything. Yeah, it's typical. It's like it's like the Library of Alexandria, you know, for for Iraq. Because I I love sexuality, especially yeah. that kind of you know local. What you know? What are the local people thinking? What's it like? What's going on? Gone gone a lifetime's worth of data well they go, go back to that if you talk about the Balinese them, themselves okay in the, basically and this is still true today is that among the the, the let's call they, they call Wang Jawa the Jaba the, the commoners mm. right the people who are considered not to have caste in fact mm. right oh there is a caste uh, system here oh here yeah, ah, yeah is yeah. it the same system it's as a, India it's a, okay let's go back to the the, the Austronesians so the Austronesians basically had a, a proto caste system so you had high royalty if you like or nobles they were the direct descendants of the founders of villages or 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 lineages right yeah and then below them you had a secondary 
right. uh, a, a royal caste. Like in Bali, the, high, the, high, the, uh, the, the highest royal caste, they, you can tell them by their name, Chukoda, Agung, right? Mm. The secondary ones, you know by the name uh, 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 Gusti and Dewa. That's the preface for their name. They're mm. sometimes shortened, so it's not always immediately. So our taxi uh, driver this morning was Agung. Agung. So he's from he's from the Satria. And that's a okay. high. So no, that, well, the highest caste is Brahmana, not uh-huh. Brahmin, right? But Brahmana, they call it, call it here. Yeah. They are the ones that can become the high priests. Uh, okay. Okay. Then you have the 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 Satria, which are the knights, which in India are the royal caste. Mm. And then the secondary royal caste, because all of these are considered the the three wangs, the three people they call it, right? Uh, they they're they're called uh, Vaisya. In India, the Vaisya are actually the merchant class, but that's not the case here. Mm. And then those below are called Sudra. Sudra is 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 uh, means low. It's actually right. a derogatory ter- term uh-huh. that they, that that's nowadays again political correctness is a little bit here. They preferred to be called Wong. Wong means human. Jaba outside. The, the people that are outside the high, huh. high caste, and in right. f- and and in the earlier days, uh, they had slaves. So you had you had that sort of thing as the the high noble caste. Mm. You had the secondary uh, noble caste. You had the freemen, if you like. That's probably the best, you know, the, the nicest term to use for it. You had slaves, and then you had, of course, priests were something else. Mm. Priests priests were, but the Brahmana formalized priesthood uh, or at least the high priesthood which is the one that that is essential for the completion of certain religious ceremonies it's sort of the equivalent of the catholic church being able to excommunicate you yeah if they refuse to do this or refuse right. to this in the, in a certain period of time you were screwed right were absolutely screwed right, right? and uh, so you 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 have that in a form, you have that in a form here yeah. as I, well. I, but the the, sorry, the free people to go back to yeah. the sexuality, and then I'll yeah. give you. You can is is that normally they would have kind of you know when they came of age, yeah. there'd be certain kinds of presentations, certain kinds of dances, which are are you know uh, uh, which would be invo- involved in it. And they would often become pregnant, and that was in, and there there was oftentimes no official marriage. But when you know, uh, and the woman moves in with the with the with the man, and becomes beholden to the ancestors of the man, because that's also oh, okay. important to understand, uh, right? So no but formal the, marriage. No, no, no real. They in some places they still have it's called uh, nika siri, which means you chew betel nut together. Right, <laughs> right. Get your teeth purple. Right. And, and, and what is, what about the dissolution of marriage? It's highly frowned upon huh. in traditional, but there's a, there's a change coming now now too. This is especially again when you talk to the high caste people, uh, especially the, the you know the real high ones, and also later because what happened, some of the freemen became wealthy at a certain mm-hmm. moment and powerful, influential. Mm-hmm. They would keep the equivalent of a, ha- a harem, mm-hmm. or, or or they would strictly uh, uh, chaperone young, attractive women to 
prevent them from 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 anything happening that was not appropriate or or would embarrass embarrass the 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 the, the family. Right. Then the mm. next question you just asked you you asked another question before. Mm. What about? Uh, dissolution of marriage. Oh, dissolution. Yeah. Not. So the dissolution of marriage, highly frowned upon, uh, especially if you have children. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what uh, about ex- very, like it, extramarital relationships? Is it's it's like uh, all the stories are. Full, full of them. It's a bit like you know. From if I hear my, the stories of my father in 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 America, you know, growing up in New York in the twenties and thirties, right? Mm. Uh, you know, is that uh, uh, everybody was a virgin, but you know there was a lot of hanky panky going on. <laughs> right, right. There's you the know? official story. You know, it's, it's like people, you know, yeah. were just in 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 denial. And yeah. the main thing that you wanted to do was getting avoid uh, avoid getting caught in flagrante. Right. You know, and that's also here. Right. But where where it could be here really really serious would be if somebody if a low caste man was caught with a high caste woman that mm. could end up with death it's like a lynching situation yeah. in the south yeah yeah and some cases too like in somewhere there was this one uh uh, uh noble woman her she they called her queen julia uh, juliana after the 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 daughter of the queen wilhelmina mm. who had been born when uh who who was the crown princess at the time of juliana's birth so they gave her the same name because they with no man of su- sufficient status to mm. marry her, the same or higher, she became a virgin queen. Wow. Right? Wow. Uh, so, and, yeah. and there is an association with, uh, with uh, uh, virginity and, and pure, purity here mm. uh, so, uh, as, as, as well. But it's yeah. it's it's complex at the same time too, if you see like with Lempod and and the other Balinese, you know, if you look at some of their erotic drawings and things, you realize that, uh, you know, they you know they have a pretty kinky uh, subconscious, hmm. right? That's interesting. Even in with the you know, there are very few of his if you like erotic drawings, which show any tenderness. Hmm. In fact, Madi Wianta, a famous uh, uh, contemporary Balinese artist, uh, he, he one time in jest, you know, came to him and he said, you Westerners, you came here and you screwed it up for us Balinese when it comes to meeting women, or, you know, with the Balinese women. Because before, before you came here, you know, we just grabbed them and, you know, <laughs> and get it done. Right, and now they want us to be romantic and like buy flowers and uh, do all yeah. this kind of shit. It said, you know, you 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 guys are real troublemakers, yeah, and yeah. you're fakes too, because all you want to do is root as well. Yeah, yeah. So, well, you gotta so. say, listen, I could talk to you forever. I know I don't want to take up your whole day. It's what um, time is it? It's, we've been talking for an hour. Yeah, it's okay. But I would love to um, to like. I mean, all this stuff about Bali and Indonesia is fascinating and totally new to me. Um, but I'd love to just know more about you. Like, how did you, how did you get from New York to here? Who are you? What's your story? I mean, your life must have been fascinating so far. I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, here you, know, you are. Like, your office. There will be photos on my website. People are listening to this. Go to the website. 
we've taken a bunch of photos. It's like I'm sitting in a museum. This is I'm surrounded by beautiful art. And we haven't even talked about the rest of th- Southeast Asia. We've only been talking. You said your your expertise extends. Are you like the Jim Thompson of the 21st century? Is- uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't. I don't. You know, it's easy to sort of. I, I, I'm. I'm. You know, in a certain sense, and what I aspired to be was the concept of the Renaissance sure. man, not 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 as a. Yeah. You know, not 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 in a kind of egotistical sure. way, but a feeling that it was very important to have a broad knowledge uh, of, of things and I was naturally curious and intellectually oriented and I also had a kind of spiritual component if you like as yeah. well um, uh, but you know if you want to talk I mean you know I came from a dysfunctional family my my father was a, a New Yorker his father was from uh, from uh, uh, an English German family carpenter uh, that had had been living in in the United States presumably from the, at least the 19th or maybe in the 18th century. Uh, it's unclear to me, and he married the daughter of a German uh, immigrant who was the he- from Hamburg, who was the head of Bayer Pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. in, in New York at that time. This is your father or your grandfather? No, this is my grandfather. grandfather right. right. That his, his, so that was my father's background, mm. right? And they had a big family. And, and, and then uh, he was... He was very bright. He was very good with his hands and so on. World, World War II came. So as a young man... He was drafted, and he was he he became a flight line mechanic, which is which is uh, they were so important they were kept well behind the lines. Yeah, right. Uh, and they were the ones that would uh, would would check the airplanes before they took off, and 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 guide them back and make sure you know when they land that. Uh, and so, in many ways, the pilots' lives were in his hand. It was yeah. very uh, emotionally. Uh, uh, charge uh, sort of thing and he was stationed in Cambridge and and my mother was the daughter of, of, a, of a prominent uh, family and her her father was a, a don a high professor at, at, at Cambridge University uh, Chaucy Percy Titian's Winkworth <laughs> <laughs> right in the House of Lords, and he was, and her mother was like a, you know, like a, like a, just one of those, like from, you know, you know, faulty towers, towers, or something <laughs> like this, you know, very, you know, yeah. uh, not. I'm not quite sure. I mean, they were, they were really weird, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and she she felt that she had grown up in a loveless. You know, uh, uh, landscape, right? And and all the English boys were gone, mm. so she got it pregnant from an American GI. Wow! How that she actually got pre- pregnant twice because there was another a surprise story later on. Is so the first child that she had uh, from a soldier who died in in Normandy, oh, no. right? Uh, uh, that he was brought up. 
as her younger brother and I always thought he was my uncle it was only when I was 32 that day they, they, they you know that my mother told me I, I should have figured it out say why yeah. grandma so old and uncle Robin so young how's yeah. that possible yeah. right and then my older brother uh my older brother uh was from and my father met her afterwards and then they got married and they they went to new new, new York right and so I grew up in this you know because and she had a hard time adjusting to America because she thought it was the golden place and everything and she came into this family where where they said hey wash your own dishes do your own thing make up mm, your own bed and something right. she had grown up with servants and things like that so she struggled uh, a, a great a great deal and uh, and my father you know you know in many ways he was screwed by the whole system of that time because you know he got laid off from a job he had for 18 years got almost no pension Mm. uh and then uh, went into a series of poor you know jobs and there Mm. was you know that so they were really struggling and Mm. i i was constantly because they were more busy with their dysfunctionalities and stuff and i was always trying to you know i guess you're seeking for to validate yourself in the eyes of your parents it's a Mm. you know it's a primary uh psychological you know state among youth and things so i i i worked very hard in school and was you know often the best in my class and 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 excelled and then on graduation i was offered uh full scholarships by uh by Vassar College and by Columbia and a few other other ones, and uh, and I took Vassar. It's a great school, but I didn't go there because I I, I, th- I was thinking about the the academic standards. I was thinking, what's the ratio? Yeah, seventeen to one. Oh, that's how it's. That sounds really good for yeah. for a, you know an egghead, you know from from <laughs> from, from Long guy. Island. You know, it's <laughs> like you, you know I, I understood basic math and, yeah. uh, and chances. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so, and then it was it became even higher because I realized that about a quarter of the men in the first male class, right, were gay guys who wanted to be Vassar girls. Were you in the first male class? Yeah. Ah, oh, wow. Right. So they were gay guys. So and they were gay guys. So, so the numbers like were even better, one, you know. Yeah. And it was kind of, you know, it was a crazy, it was a crazy time, you yeah. know. I mean, in the, you know, just after uh, Woodstock and the, you know, you know, sex, drugs, rock and right. roll, so before and et cetera, like that. And I'd, I met Timothy Leary there because Timothy uh, Leary was was staying uh, uh, very close uh, close by. To Poughkeepsie, uh, what right, was it, at Millbrook, Millbrook yeah, right? Yeah. And, and, uh, and you didn't and, uh, know Stanley at this time. No, 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 no I didn't know Stanley. Stanley was, Stanley right was there. down in, uh, yeah, he, he was, was in he was, you know, for a lot of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He and, was at Millbrook as well. You know, and yeah. then uh, and then there was a series of events which ended up with my my brother my brother uh, dying, my older brother dying in tragic circumstances, and he was uh, in England. He, he no, stayed. no, not, not, not. I didn't know he was that. That one I didn't know Your was uncle. my older okay, brother. Okay. That was my other older brother. Ah, okay. Okay, right. my, you know, and uh, and and so finally, you know, I just, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I was depressed and all the things. So I, I went to Europe. 
Did you finish at Vassar, or you, you left? No, I didn't. Uh, you you know, dropped you, out and went yeah. to. That's when I you went, went to Amsterdam. Europe, yeah. yeah, and then uh, and I and Europe revivified me because it was the, yeah. you know the bubble was still there. Had you and visited also, your your grandparents in Cambridge? I did. I didn't, but not before that. But not before that. Okay, so this was yeah, your my first family time. Had, my family had, even though my father, you know, in, in, in this best period, earned a, a quite reasonable sum of money they were always good at at at, at, at just blowing it yeah all that time they were right. always going from one debt to another my mother found out about credit cards but oh, she didn't boy. realize you got to pay in the end right <laughs> that type of thing she was yeah. an early victim of the yeah. credit system yeah. right yeah and uh so uh and i you know when i landed there you know it was just a oh, you know a, a great you know, liberation for me mm. and many, because I, you know, one of the things, because uh, I wanted to be always an artist. Luckily, I had the good sense to realize that I wasn't going to be a, because I wanted to be Picasso or Matisse, you know, mm. I, I, at that time, my ambitions was, were big. You know, later on, I realized that it, it probably was unlikely. And what I, was it that attracted you? Was it art? Yeah. It, in other words, was it the art itself, or was it the life of an artist that you were attracted to? I think both of them, because in that particular time, you know, the, this this whole sort of you know romantic, you know, uh, image of the bohemian yeah. artist and the freedom and right. all that sort of thing. Even though a lot of it's based on total nonsense, yeah. you know, because in fact, like you know, what I had to learn with writing is is that. It's like the old adage that it's 90% uh, perspiration and 10% inspiration. You have, yeah. to, you have to work at it. You know, you've done books and studies and things like that. You know, what do you do when you get up in those days and you're not inspired? Right, but you got a deadline. You know, your 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 editor's calling you up and saying <laughs> you got to get this done. Yeah, and so, yeah. so I went. So you know, to to try to move forward quickly, I went to uh, you know, I went to Amsterdam. I was involved with a lot of like the Festival of Fools and a lot of things there. Uh, with the Milky Way, I worked in the Milky Way, and I went to Paris. I did a tour. I was working with some theater groups, mm. and uh, and I worked on projects. Projects with you know because it was also the time of conceptual art. One of the reasons I I gave up the idea of being an artist because somebody came to me said, "What do you do?" And I said, "I'm a painter." And he said, "Painting? You got to be kidding! Nobody paints at the end of the 20th century. That's finished. It's over. <laughs> you know, you're just you're, you know yeah. uh, you're an anachronism. You know, yeah. and they say what? <laughs> you know, so so." Uh, because those are things that, you know, the idea of being an anachronism or a cliche or something like that, you know. Though I've, I've sort of, at this point in my life, I've become more, you know, accepting. I, you know, I realize that I'm like, you know, I, I've become a big fish in a small pond, mm. right? And that's because, I'm, you know, you never know because one of, the, one of, the, one of the, the things that you think about in those kind of cases, well, what, hap- what would have happened if I was in the ocean? Mm. Yeah, could I have really made it, or uh, or or would I've been swallowed up or something like that? But you'll never know. It's at this point in my life, you know, uh, I'll, I'll I'll never really know. Uh, but but uh, at that time, as I said, you know, uh, so we and the winter was coming again. So I got a cheap ticket uh, was like a hundred and seventy-five bucks or two hundred bucks, and flew to Bangkok. 
and also uh, Paco Underhill, who I talked about, uh, the author of Why We Buy, who was mm. one of my best friends in, mm-hmm. in, in Vassar College. Uh, his father was the ambassador to KL at that time, uh, Kuala Lumpur mm-hmm. in uh, Malaysia. And, uh, yeah, and Asia was, like Amsterdam before it, was an extraordinary, you know, revelation for me. And I, you know, part of the things I didn't appreciate that I was living in something that was rapidly changing mm-hmm. in a new environment. You know, sometimes you think, oh, this is really cool, man. This is going to be like this forever. Mm. You know, there, uh, and, and uh, so I, li- I lived on a deserted island in the south of Thailand, south of Phuket. Uh, you know, built built a geodesic dome out of bamboo there really? with some people, and 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 uh, and then gradually went down the, the 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 coast to Sumatra, and then wandered around. Uh, were you on a boat, or were you just uh, uh, part of cruising? part of it with boats? Uh, at that time, we did more boats and buses and and and, and local transport because yeah. uh, airplanes were expensive. You only took airplanes if there was no other yeah. Yeah. option. And we had time. We had plenty of time. Yeah. So it was saving money. I South mean, of I Phuket. Think, that's the Kopp area there, right? The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, beautiful no, that's area. A, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, several of them down down there. Yeah. yeah, and there was nothing there. Crabby Phuket. When I went to Phuket, there was not one hotel on the beach. Really, not one. <laughs> so the that's... only hotels you had one uh, kind of hotel that had been built for the American GIs for R and R, a little bit like sixty style, yeah. you know, kind of American Hawaii hotel. Yeah, you know, like four stories or something, and the rest were old Chinese hotels, funky. Yeah. Old Chinese hotel, and then the first one on Patong Patong Beach, we went out there, and there was a guy who had like a a, a coconut hut on the beach, you know, uh, and and you paid five baht, and at night they they roll out the the mats, Uh, you could buy Thai stick, ride. And they'd give you like uh, they'd give you like uh, uh, tom yum soup. Yeah, you know. I remember one time it was with octopus, and I'd never eaten. Of course, in you know, white people in New York didn't eat like you know mussels and octopus mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. We yeah. considered we wanted like the cl- the tough clams that you had to chew for a hundred <laughs> years. You know, the cherry stones yeah, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, and uh, wow. and then so I just wandered around Indonesia, and and I I I, I learned Bahasa, mm. you know, basic Bahasa. And, and you were in Sumatra, able, you said. Yeah, I went through all. Did Sumatra. you get to Lake Toba? Went to Lake Toba, <sighs> lived there for crazy. like two months, and then went yeah. down the coast and. You know, all Bukatini. different places. And then Jakarta, I stayed in Jakarta, but very short time because yeah. it was really bustling, expensive, yeah. full of mosquitoes. And then I went to Jok Jakarta, which became a really, you know, center yeah. of Java. It was yeah. an extraordinary place for me. And from there, uh, slowly to Bali. Mm. And then Bali became a base. And then, you know, I went to Borneo, the Eastern Islands, and all sorts of things like that. So you've been based in Bali since the late 70s? Well, I, you, you know, the big thing, the two big deficiencies at that time was a visa and money. Yeah. You know, which were, you know. So uh, I only really started living... Uh, uh, 
longer in Bali in in the in the the nineteen eighties right. later on, yeah. because there was a shift too in the attitude towards Westerners here, and yeah. we, I, and we so what would would go on is that for a long time before before the time that I met Stanley that was nineteen eighty one and I had gone mm. back to America, so in the seventies uh, I would go back to Europe earn money there right. And then, uh, and then as quickly as possible, I come back to Asia. And then I also started going to Sri Lanka because Sri Lanka, the the uh, this before the war. And then I went there. I spent a lot of time there. I traveled up to India and Kathmandu, and we were spending a lot of time in Thailand, Burma, mm. uh, and you know, exploring exploring Asia, and Malaysia as 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 well. Uh, but the the big change came. Like in 1985, when uh, when my son was born, because I was with uh, my wife, we we were we were already together. We had started traveling like in 1978 or 79 mm. together, and then uh, and then when my son was born, you know, I had to, you know, things became different. You had to be more yeah. serious, had to be more sure. settled. You had to be a parent. Mm. No. Where's your wife from? She's Holland. She's oh, from Dutch. Oh, she's, uh, she's Dutch. Dutch yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. So, so yeah. part of that, which is then the go, and we can end on that, is that why the Dutch came here. The Dutch were pissed off that the Spanish, <laughs> who remember were yeah. invading the right. Netherlands, right. Uh, said you can't you you can't get the spices anymore from Lisbon. Uh, so they said, screw okay. you. Right. We're going to sail boats. We got all the secrets and the logs and things like. That. We're going to sail there ourselves. And so the first voyage was in 1596, and that's when Bali was found, because the guy that, when the Portuguese, they first came to West Java, and the Portuguese saw, they said, uh, Hollandese, and they thought, oh, man, we don't want any more white guys here. We're, you know, one is enough. Right, yeah, and so they got the the king of Bantam, uh, Bantam, to attack the Dutch, and the Dutch were they didn't have uh, they they were on three small ships, they didn't have enough food and things like that. Sailed to the east in desperation and landed on Bali, mm. and they met the son of the great uh, king Watorengong. Uh, who out of Klumkung, who welcomed there and gave them mm. gave them food and things like that, mm. and then so they went back and they didn't they they didn't they didn't you know out of seven hundred some a little bit less than seven hundred sailors who had sailed there, they returned with only three hundred something because the others died and they or didn't stayed? Uh, yeah they all died on the way yeah. uh, three of them stayed behind in Bali. They yeah. said, "Screw that! I'm not going back to. Yeah. You know, I'm not taking that voyage. You know, so many people dead. I'm. I like it here, right? Yeah. They, some say they were kidnapped by the king here, mm. and then, uh, but." And they lo- they lost money. It was a, from a financial point of view, the voyage was a, a disaster. Really, but it proved that they could get there. Yeah. And then in the, the next voyage came in 1602, and then in a period of 40 years, the Dutch came to dominate all of Southeast Asia. Hmm. When was Rembrandt? When was his heyday? Se- the 17th century. So this is about the same time. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm right. I'm thinking of those paintings of the, the all, spice all merchants. All this, I think, it's all the it's all the from markets. the same time. The golden yeah. age. Yeah. It was the golden age that the 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 Dutch made huge pro- profits yeah. here. 
and they were uh, they were left because the Spanish Empire was declining as well, mm. uh, and uh, the English were still you know they were like nibbling around the edges. In fact, yeah. the, the the English got India as second choice because Indonesia and the Spice Island were considered the fir- the first choice. Yeah, but right. uh, you know. Uh, Things things changed uh, by the by the uh, by the nineteenth century. The you know the eighteenth, the end of the eighteenth, and the and the early nineteenth century. The old Dutch East Indies Company, which was the first publicly owned international company, yeah, went right. bankrupt. Mm. It was taken over uh, by the Dutch Crown. Mau bawa air atau ya ada antiga Okay, yes, Hilakan. Oh, we're, we're getting some water. So, uh, so, and, uh, and they, they quickly dominated themselves. But that, but, and there was a big change because part of the problem was is that as, because the Portuguese did that after they, they captured Malacca in, in 1511, the first thing they did was, was uh, sink. The, the the international mercantile fleet mm. because the, the most lucrative thing after uh, securing a monopoly on the on the natural uh, assets was to control the trade yeah yeah so, of course yeah. and uh, so but the Dutch in fact they you know the Indonesians always say you know they ruled Indonesia for 350 years that's not completely accurate from the point of view that they they were only interested in the lucrative parts mm-hmm. and they left they left most of the other places to the like bali right because they wanted to make bali the center right. but at a certain moment that bali doesn't have good harbors it doesn't have any particularly special spices no, or sources or of wealth or anything yeah. like that plus the balinese are like really feisty you, yeah. you know troublesome people Hard from a point rule. of view they don't like obeying orders and good, things like that and so uh so they they just left Bali yeah. alone, pretty much. So, what's going on here in this building we're in? What is your business? Are you an art dealer? Is that do you send art around the world? How- oh, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm more a, a consultant. Hmm. I mean, I, I sort of, you know, what, what you were talking about, you know, what, what, part of my thing of being left by the gypsies in, in Long Island yeah. was that I, you know, and and it's it's. Uh, you see, because my my brothers and uh, sisters don't have it, I was just like uh, I just had this tiny. I like to to have things, mm. like to buy them, which is hard for a traveler, right? I mean, the kind yeah, of life no, you at were that living. Time, you know, you'd send them back to a place that you thought might be your home or uh, something. But like how were you that, making right? money? Were you from the stuff you sent uh, back? Uh, no, well, I mean, the first the first money that I that I that I made uh, made uh, you know coming here had been I'd been working on certain jobs because I you know I'd been working in theater and other things, so mm-hmm. I was able to put together with that time you know like because remember in the, uh, the the traveling you know I was living on two dollars a day right yeah. right and it was a great lifestyle I'd go back anytime yeah right? no cappuccinos yeah. no pizzas no, <laughs> no complications and things soup, like that no electricity in most of Bali yeah, yeah. only Dempasar had electricity yeah. right no yeah. telephones uh, oh I remember were, my first right? trip to India it was 
I, I remember I had a shortwave radio and sending the letters to, uh, yeah. what was it They're called? Post Restante. Post Restante, exactly. <laughs> you have to tell people where you'd be in three months so they could write back to you. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, so it was, you know, and then you learn different things here. You know, like people say, like in Burma at that time, you got a seven-day visa. Yeah. Let's see, buy a Johnny, a Johnny model, Walker, Johnny Walker red cigarettes. label, uh, Benson in Hedges, yeah. a partner cigarettes, and yeah. this. And that was enough to live for the for the week. Yeah, yeah right? definitely. And, uh, and there was a certain amount of trading that was going on and things like that. But, you know, in terms of, I also, you know, with the things I'd been sending back, because we were going back to Holland, was, or if you like, we'd spend a few months a year there in Europe. Mm. Uh, uh, and uh, I had things there. And then people come over and then they'd say, oh, this is really cool. I, I want it. And in the beginning, I'd just go, no, it's mine, <laughs> you know. And at a certain moment, especially when you got kids, I sort of go, oh, man, we've got no formula. How you know, much do you, you want know, it? And stuff like, <laughs> no, and, and so, yeah. so I, I did uh, a, certain amount, uh, a certain amount of that. And mm. also because I've, you know, I know a lot of collectors and museums and things right. like that. And people ask my advice. Sometimes I can act as, a, as a, you know, introducing people right. and, 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 and get a fee for, 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 for doing things. Yeah. Right? Well, you obviously so, have exquisite taste as well, which saves a lot of work for whoever's trying to find the right art, you know? Yeah, I, in, in actual fact, I probably did myself, a, 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 you know, from a financial point of view, I did myself a great disservice. I started out writing books about expatriate painters. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I appreciate their art. And uh, and it was a fascinating story because it had parallels with my own, and they were kind of you know role models mm. in certain kind of ways. But I never had the illusion that they were a great world art. Right. That they that that they come in Jensen's you know the history of world art. Or right. They were oftentimes footnotes to footnotes, if yeah. you like. But at a certain moment, because the Balinese, it started with Balinese and some Indonesians, I said, oh, you're going to Holland all the time. Do you, can you find a, f- a painting by William Hofker? Can you find a painting by, uh, you know, uh, Le Meyer? Can you find something from Theo Meyer? And I, I was in those circles of people, and I'd see them. And they were relatively inexpensive. You know, you could buy them for, like, you know, like anywhere from seven hundred to maybe three thousand dollars, and sometimes people would give them to me just on consignment, right? And I could bring them here, and I could sell them for like, you know, fifty percent more or something like that, you know, because I was—I hadn't been really. My family had no real mercantile background. Mm. Nobody had sort of like, you know, right. kind of taught me to 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 be a killer businessman or anything like that. And then, uh, and then, uh, as th- as time went by, the, you know, the prices kept going up and and up. And I had the opportunity because I was there; I could have continued. But I had more affinity for the indigenous art, yeah. the tribal art, and yeah. other things. I felt a much stronger attachment to it, and I felt that's where I wanted, that's where I wanted to go in what I was writing and studying and other things uh, like that. But many of, like, I'll give you an example. There was a painting from, a oil painting from, uh, by William Hofker 
that at that time it was given to me on consignment for like six thousand dollars and i sold it in indonesia for maybe eight thousand five hundred i'd actually get show a photo to somebody first and say you want this i'll go i'll bring it you know and uh and that was sold later in auction for four hundred and fifty thousand dollars you know yeah so <laughs> well who sees that coming no not me yeah, yeah, no, I'm yeah. Not, i i have very limited paranormal uh <laughs> ability well yeah you know? we we haven't even gotten into that i i would love i don't know if we'll have a chance or if you're willing but i would love to do this again with you sometime you're you're obviously uh we've barely scratched the surface of your knowledge and i'd uh, love to talk to you about for example healing we, we were talking about that earlier um, before I turned on the mics, you mentioned that you know something about Indonesian healing traditions and shamanism, and uh, I'd, I'd love to do a part two if you're up for it at some point. Sure, sure. Yeah, no pressure. Sure. <laughs> sure. Thank you. Okay, how much long? Oh, okay, we, we can turn it off. Yeah, we're, we're done now, but I wanted to say, is there um, is there a book that you've written that you would recommend to a general reader? Is there anything in particular I can list on the web page or recommend to people? Well, I have you know I have several books. That one is called Tribal Art, okay, uh, uh, which is also an introduction from from the Joseph Campbell uh, oh, okay. you know, Foundation, right? And uh, and that talks more about the if you what we were talking about the austronesians and the, mm. and the genesis and connection with tribal art and other right. things right. uh i just did a big book on on borobudur on the the full uh, full moon is that this? Uh, that's oh, downstairs no, that's, i can show it to right. you uh and uh and there is uh you know this one which is on the 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 you know the golden jewelry of the Indonesian archipelago, a very mm. big book. Interesting. Uh, I can I can you know give you a, a, a list of great a list of them. Great, you know, I'll list them on the Those web page. Just a few. I, I I've yet and and hopefully it will come to that. I've yet to have the opportunity, maybe because I felt it was not the right moment to do a kind of if you like biography or mm. something like because you always you know you're sort of suspended but you think ah, there's a million people like me who have a, like a story right and and yeah. and it's a kind of ego uh, you know yeah yeah you know trip and do i really want to go there or stuff like that yeah i i agree with you my i'm trying to convince my wife to write a memoir of her life um and she's like you. She's like, I'm just a normal person. And I said, we're all normal people. And that's a healthy impulse, I think, to keep your ego in check and not think you're so special. But um, I think there's a lot of value potentially in sharing uh, a unique life, you know. And she certainly had one, and you've certainly had one as well. I mean, all lives are unique, but yours is span. Yeah, it's a, it's like you know, I I I in this so-called information age, how little appreciation there is for for history, mm. and I don't even like to use the word evolution anymore because yeah. evolution uh, implies things going up progress or progress yeah i agree i i i almost like to just think it's it's just movement yeah 
you know it's like a rhythm because ultimately if you take a really a few steps back then you sort of say uh you know it's good for humans maybe but it's bad for this or you know again it's 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 not even good for most humans yeah yeah exactly and uh and i i've always felt the urge to to understand things in a in a profound, broad, you know, fashion to understand the tapestry, mm. right? Yeah, you know, and 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 to appreciate the things that are, are really luminous, both material and 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 and, and spiritual, you mm. know. And I've always had a critical, you know, mind. I feel a critical mind is really, really important, uh, uh, and. And I sort of, you know, like for example, you know, I mean, Buddhism. If I, if somebody was going to say what, what religion, uh, and even though I don't think it's truly a religion appeals to most, it would probably, I would say, Buddhism in in, yeah. in the greatest, you know, sense of the word. But at the same time, I feel like Buddhism, like many many religions, have been used for sexual rep- uh, 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 repression, and 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 you know that uh, you know there's aspects of it which I think are, you know, uh, it's like Gandhi. Is Gandhi, is Gandhi uh, uh, a great role model? And you think, yeah, in some ways, yes, but in other ways, uh, I don't know. You know, the, the, the whole idea that he slept naked with three teenage, you know, underage teenage girls to test whether or not he had any lust left in him <laughs> seems to me to be very, very difficult to, to yeah. understand. Both yeah. from the point of view is that why do you even need to test that? Right. And then the other thing is what happens if you find out that you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and if you did that and there's no film or witness or anything, how do we even know which of the two? Right. If you, you know, failed or passed. You know, yeah. you know whatever. Yeah. And, and uh, so yeah. those kind of conundrums. Yeah. So, uh, you know. Uh, we'll see because then my big question with all what you talk about it's not only you know oh, I don't want to be ego is anybody really interested in anymore mm. especially in, in 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 the the details which have in in many ways disappeared yeah right? you know yeah. like I don't I don't know how long you've lived out of the places where you grew up in the states and so somehow I go back to New York City so New York City was you know uh, I've been away for, at times for a decade or five years and I go and it's that's everything that the names of the stores, mm. the, the the types of of, of uh, you know restaurants, yeah. you know, you sold self serve now, and it's yeah. all salads, and it's all it's all like these kind of you know power drinks, and then it changes all all the all the all the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bleecker Street at one time was all these like little ma and pa shops, and also things set up by eccentrics uh, and bohemians offering a you know a very colorful individual individualistic range of a practical as well of, of unique things reflecting the the, the village's you know uh, aura and and then at a certain moment you go back and it's wall to wall Prada Ralph Lauren right. you know all these shops and now they're all going away too because the brick and mortar stores are dying mm. right 
and uh, and the and the owners of the buildings are bummed out because they can't get five-year contracts at twenty thousand uh, dollars a month, which is the reason why the original people went away and so on. And yeah. you know what's what what's happening? Do people want to hear about that? Do they want to have that 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 thing? It's like I think they want more to have a Marvel comic movie. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the, the attention span, as you're suggesting, seems to be contracting uh, very much. But then you have things like long form podcasts like this, where people are listening to this. We've been talking an hour and forty minutes. It'll be another twenty minutes intro. It's a two hour conversation. How many follow? How many people follow it? Around a hundred thousand. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's yeah, good. and there are, other, and it's, and you know, it's my podcast is in the top 1% probably of podcasts of all of them. But there are others like Joe Rogan. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Yeah, He has a million downloads at least per episode. And his conversations, he'll go on for three hours talking with someone. Um, you know, and often they're, they're famous people. Like Mike Tyson or someone was just yeah. on. But yeah. sometimes I've been on his show 20 times, you know, and I'm nobody. So it's... And he, he'll have friends on, and they'll talk about fight, you know, UFC fighting or comedy yeah. or whatever. It, it does seem it's weird because it does feel like on one level everything's being just compressed into the here and the now and and very sort of instant consciousness. But there's also an appetite for long form conversational stuff. So maybe instead of um, you know rather than an autobiography, maybe it's a series of things like this where you just uh, yeah. Create well, an that's audio part record. of the well, well. The podcasts I think are really positive development. Yeah. You know I I. I understood what Facebook and a lot of the other social media was early on, and I saw a, I saw a certain uh, positive element on it. And then, to my shock, it developed to mm. what I thought were oftentimes very insidious, yeah. you know, f- you know, and dangerous uh, forms. Uh, and, uh, and driven by profit and greed and, 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 and you know, despite, you know, despite the, the, the you know, the, them trying to project a completely different, different uh, image of themselves. And I, but I still understand why uh, if you, if you, if you want to market yourself or do certain things or do business in the world, you, you have to have them because there's a monopoly. That's part of the, mm. the, 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 the dubious side of it. Uh, and it's, and a lot of that is just short term. You know, you get your new, you get your new astounding photos from the day, yeah. right? Yeah. And you don't got enough memory to save them. So most of them you just check, chuck out, and you, you know, and you get, a, right. you get a whole new series of them. Yeah. And I don't know to a certain extent that how many people just notice that, hey man, this is like, a variation on what I saw, you know, saw, saw before, because your memory is sort of, mm. is, you know, uh, is atrophied. something, yeah, it's atrophied yeah. and, and, and uh, yeah. you know, and the recycling of, of things all the time, you know, yeah. uh, uh, and I, there's a difference between, um, uh, for me, between like, I think if you talk about sp- most spiritual things at their very at their very essence that that there's very little new that can be re- revealed and part of the, the 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 validity of 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 new teachers and new things is that it puts it in in a, a new uh, contemporary vernacular mm. that 
reaches people who, mm. for example, can, cannot read like Victorian style English mm -hmm. or something right. like that. Right. Uh, you know, uh, so there is a certain validity in it, but at the same time, it's it's always the snippets, the you know, the fifteen second uh, you know syndrome. There's nothing new except what's been forgotten. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a good thing, and yeah, they yeah. and we all need things that we need to forget. Yeah, there is that. Yeah, too. All right, okay. thank you, Bruce. I really thank you very this. much, Chris. Okay, bye bye. Hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Bruce Carpenter here in Bali. Wide ranging, interesting conversation. Super interesting guy, a real polymath, as they say. Uh, just want to remind you before I sign off to check out Mudwater at mudwtr.com. Give it a try. Let me know what you think of it. Let me know not only how it tastes and what sort of um, concoctions you come up with. If you add a little maple syrup or honey or whatever, your almond milk, cashew milk, whatever your thing is. Um, but also how it makes you feel. Uh, I'd like to know. I, I'm not good at that stuff. I, I don't know how things make me feel. I'm always confused when people say, oh, you know, gluten makes me feel this or too much whatever makes me feel that. I, I just can't seem to make the connection. I eat things and I sort of always feel the same way. So maybe there's something wrong with me. I don't know. Anyway, hope you enjoy the mud water. M-U-D-W-T-R dot com. Thanks. Bye. Okay, Mom, uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. <laughs> she didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay. There you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're going to say. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our 
Dance into the ground. 